Two years ago, Michelle, Leo, and I were on the Camino de Santiago, or the, the Way of St. James, for about three days. The Camino is this long dirt and gravel and sometimes paved path of around 500 miles that cuts across part of France and then much of northern Spain. The route ends in this city where it is said that the remains of James, one of Jesus' disciples, are, are buried. It's been a route for pilgrimages since the Middle Ages. And these days, thousands upon thousands of people show up every single year to do part or all of the Camino as, as a pilgrimage. Perhaps you've, you've done part or all of it. And if you have, you, you know that staying on the Camino, uh, sometimes it's very easy. Just, just follow the, all the pilgrims that you kind of see walking along with you. Sometimes, though, there is nobody else really around. And so you will look for these blue and yellow seashells that they have placed and painted all over the path. These seashells might be painted on sidewalks of a small village that you're going through or on the side of a barn or the side of a tree. And, and they're, really, they're, they're spaced every just so, every bit uh, just long enough away that you can start to feel maybe I'm lost and just close enough that you see, okay, I got the next seashell, I'm still on the right path. Well, each of our three days on the Camino required no less than, than, than 12 miles of walking. Michelle and I walking, Leo in the stroller. And I had absolutely no interest in accidentally veering off and adding more mileage or, or being lost with a two-and-a-half-year-old in northern Spain, which meant I spent most of the day continually fixed upon finding the next blue and yellow seashell. In fact, I found no greater satisfaction then when we came upon the next seashell, and I would exclaim, seashell, and Leah would say, seashell, and it was such a wonderful visible affirmation that we were on the right path, headed in the correct destination. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas asks Jesus. Jesus has just explained to the disciples he will soon leave them. He's going on ahead of them to prepare a place for them, rooms for them, that where he is they may also be. It's his way of telling them that he is, he is going to secure their future, ensuring that their future is forever with him and one another. And, and so Thomas asks, okay, so if, if you're going on ahead and preparing these rooms, how can we know the way? Are, are there seashells, markers, a road map? Thomas is taking all this quite literally, and he wants to be sure the disciples are staying on the right path unto Jesus and this secure future. And who among us doesn't want some kind of marker, some kind of sign, some kind of map from time to time to know that we're headed in the right direction? I, I told some of you at, over virtual coffee, the first virtual coffee a couple Wednesdays ago, that I was in a Zoom meeting with Penny and Joy, a couple folks on staff here, and at one point they're talking about something that happened in 2005, and they look at me in this Zoom meeting and say, Bobby, where were you in 2005? And I said, I was in seminary training to be a pastor, to do all of this. In fact, I told them, I, I think I was in a course called Plagues and Pandemics, What to Do. I jest, but I kind of wish. Right? All of us, especially in times that are trying or troubling or confusing, I think all of us wish we had kind of a clear what to do, how to navigate roadmap. I personally don't want to count the amount of times I have looked and relooked at the latest reports from the CDC, the national, the state, the county authorities, the presbytery, fellow pastors, other churches all over the place, 
anybody that might be for me the next seashell that says, we as a church are doing the right thing, we're staying on the right path, we're headed wherever Jesus is headed unto a secure and good future. How can we know the way, Thomas asks, and I feel that question. And rather than hand a road map or offer signs that could be precisely followed unto the dwelling places, Jesus famously replies, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This verse is sometimes used as a measuring stick of, of sort of who's in and who's out, but, but most truly in this context of troubled hearts, it is meant as a word of comfort to make clear that the way is not a path with a precise roadmap or even helpful signs to follow. The way is quite frankly, and quite frankly, the life and the truth are, are, are a person. The way is the relationship with Jesus. I remember the second day on the, the Camino, it took us through vast kilometers of rolling vineyards. Located in one of these vineyards was this old stone church that was a particular favorite for the pilgrims to stop and dwell for a while. You might be guessed that it's because of the, the lovely, quiet sanctuary the church kept. You might guess it's because of the lovely, quaint garden this church kept. Both true, both reasonable, but I will tell you, by far, the largest crowd was always found on the side of this church building where the church had installed into the stone two spigots out of which flowed free red wine sourced from the abundant vineyards surrounding the church. Scores of pilgrims would show up throughout the day. They'd put their water bottle under this spigot, pull this lever, and they would get wine from the side of the church. I remember thinking to myself, that is an evangelism strategy we did not study in church and seminary. But it worked. My goodness, the pilgrims love this church. And actually what would happen is the pilgrims, they would, they would get their wine, they'd, they'd take off their backpacks and then find a, a log or a bench somewhere nearby. And at any given time, there might be a dozen or a couple dozen pilgrims kind of scattered throughout this general area, sipping wine sharing stories, talking about the journey. We were only on the Camino three days, but I came to find that really is the heart of the Camino experience. Not the wine sipping, but the relationships that are formed. The bond, the kinship, the things that are discovered about oneself in those exchanges. And that moment made me realize that that until then, I would often describe the Camino. When I would describe the Camino, I would talk about the distance, the dirt, the seashells. Since then, I, I've, I've, I've learned to catch myself a bit and say, the journey is the relationships. It's, it's alongside the folks with whom you go and the folks uh, whom you meet. It's, it's in those spaces you discover new depth, uh, new anchoring, new insights. I am the way, the truth. And the life. The journey, the way, the path is the relationship. The journey is the risen, living Jesus Christ who abides with us this day and forever. And really, so much of the Gospel of John accents this very point. John chapter 1, the prologue of the Gospel of John that really sets the tone for the remainder of the Gospel. What is that famous verse right there in the middle? The Word became flesh, God became flesh, and dwelt among us. 
or, or lived or abided or relationshiped among us. Then John chapter 2, what's Jesus' first miracle? Water to wine at a wedding. A ceremony that joyfully lifts up the central importance of relationship. John 15, Jesus talks about being the true vine and says, Abide in me as I abide in you. If you want to bear any good fruit, it's, a, it's about abiding. It's about the connection. It's about the relationship. And, and again, when Jesus says at the outset of our scripture in John 14 today, Do not let your hearts be troubled. He does not hand them a, a, a road map or, or, or markers to, so they know what's kind of coming next and, and how you're going to know that you're on the right path. That's not how Jesus addresses the fear, the anxiety. Rather, he simply gives them himself. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Or, or better translated, really, it, trust in God. Trust also in me. What if in all of our watching of the news and refreshing of the latest statistics and reports and scouring the internet for what certain people and certain entities are now saying? What if amid all of our searching for seashells that might give us some measure of comfort on this foreign road, Jesus stands with the church this day and has a simple invitation. Trust in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life for which you are so furiously searching. And what would our hands and our hearts need to drop right now in order to find a nearby log or bench and lean into the joyful certainty of Jesus, even as everything around us remains uncertain? One of the first Presbyterian uh, daily devotionals from this past week was from Sarah Halsey, where she highlighted uh, this wonderful reflection from Oswald Chambers in his classic, My Utmost for His Highest. And, and in that reflection, some of you read, Chambers writes along these very lines. He, and he says, our natural inclination is to be so precise, trying always to forecast accurately what will happen next. What's, what's the next seashell? And then he goes on and says, to be certain of God, to trust in, to cling to, uh, to abide in this relationship with God means that we're uncertain in all of our ways, not knowing what tomorrow may bring. And he presses further and it says, you know, this is generally expressed with a sigh of, of sadness, but it should be an expression, uh, an expression of breathless expectation. We are uncertain of the next step, but we are certain of God. As soon as we abandon ourselves to God and do the task he has placed closest to us, he begins to fill our lives with surprises. Breathless expectation as we draw near to the living God who does not hand out a, a road map or, or markers for, for some kind of next certainty, but he does give us himself and, and the next right thing, the next faithful thing, the next surprising grace. In fact, our passage says that if, if we abide in him, we, the church, shall do even greater works than Jesus, which is to say prioritizing a relationship, an abiding relationship with Jesus is not some sort of spiritual escape from all the ills and bad things of the world. To abide with Jesus is actually to find oneself opened unto the work that Jesus has for us in this world. For such a time as this. 
This struck me in a fresh way just three days ago. We all abide in Jesus in a host of ways. and We abide in, when we come together and worship, when we serve, when we offer our gifts, when we study scripture, when we pray. There are countless ways in which we know an abiding with Jesus who abides in us. One of the specific ways I seek to abide in Jesus is by journaling regularly. It's not for everybody, but, but this practice I find opens, opens me to God. I can empty myself on the page, I can pray, I can lament, I can give thanks, I can ask questions. Bottom line is this, I find that my soul is focused if the pen is cutting across the page. And I discover time and again the beautiful grace that as I seek to abide in Jesus, he's already abiding in me and all of the church. Now every time I finish up with journaling, it's not like I always know just the next right, faithful, good thing or work God has for me. Sometimes. What I do find is a different kind of openness to what God might be calling me toward, calling the church toward. Abiding has a way of opening. Well, on Thursday, I finished journaling, and I had this enormous to-do list, quite frankly, and I I dive into that list because that list, it gives me a sense of control over all the chaos. It's like each email, each phone call, each task, is like, it's like me making my own seashells that can mark that day's progress that show me I am, in fact, moving in the right, good direction. But as I'm making that particular day's seashells, I find I can't get that video of Ahmaud Arbery out of my head or my heart. Like a nagging weight falling into the opening of my soul that abiding had created within. And so all of a half hour into my emails and workload for the day, I inexplicably find that I have opened a brand new Word document without consciously deciding to do so. And now I am typing my soul onto a page trying to discern what to make of this, this killing, this moment, this pain. I actually spent the bulk of Thursday afternoon and Thursday evening just writing and rewriting this particular piece so as to get to the heart of whatever Jesus was trying to work out through me. And a huge shout out to my wife, Michelle, for editing a good two pages worth away that was just superfluous stuff that I couldn't see until she showed me. What, what then that ensured is that I did eventually publish this article on Medium entitled Why I'm Running 2.23 Miles, and it, it, it came out at a halfway readable length that I know some of you have seen. But here's the thing. I got almost nothing done on my to-do list, almost no tasks done uh, that would have moved the ball forward on the path that felt like the one I could, could, could pave, I could control, I could make happen, I could set markers for. But in abiding, I received the weight of the next thing Jesus had for me. And it was more than enough to simply make that offering. I don't share this as some sort of pat on the back because honestly, the experience was like being pulled along inexplicably by something or someone abiding within. I share this as a word of encouragement. Whether the act is big or small, routine or unique, Jesus is faithful to give us himself and reveal the next right work as we abide. I do imagine this is the season where a lot of us are putting in at least 12 good metaphorical miles a day whether because of the intense demands of work and homeschooling or extended periods of isolation or or the extended angst around income 
health. And so we eagerly remain attuned to the news and, and everything else, trying to find the, the next seashell that tells us we're on the right path, that we're, that we're heading the right direction unto God's good promise for us. What if we just admitted how little control we have over any of life and we instead clung singularly to the one who already abides us and assures us he is with us this day and always? Trust in me. The journey is the relationship. And in that space, God will faithfully open us and illumine us unto the next right thing. Amen.